Hello, everybody. I'm Richard Olberger, PhD clinical psychologist on behalf of Richard Listens. And I am here with my co-host, Lorinda Phillips from Retired from Sports. And we will be hosting Making the Jump panel. And our focus of this podcast panel extraordinaire is about helping athletes in transition, athletes post-retirement, and today we promise not to disappoint. I am hosting this panel along with Lorinda Phillips, who will be introducing our guests in just a minute. If you or anyone you know through this pandemic and beyond are needing support in any way, whether it be emotionally, mentally, or to just raise your game as a high performer and managing your stress, please check me out at richardlistens.com. If you want to find more content related to my podcast, or suggest someone you know to be on the podcast, please look me up on Instagram at Richard Listens and my patreon.com slash Richard Listens. Please sign up to be a supporter of our show and bring advanced content such as this panel directly to you. Without further ado, my fabulous co-host as well as CEO of Retired from Sports, Lorinda Phillips. Welcome. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to Making Jump as your co-host, Master Certified Coach Lorinda Phillips. Our guests are elite athletes offering their story and advice that is entertaining, authentic, and relevant. They have walked in your shoes. I'm really excited about our guest today. His name is Malcolm Lemons. He's a former professional athlete turned author and entrepreneur. He's a two-time author of Lessons from the Game, a book that highlights his story through basketball and some of the key lessons he learned from playing sports. And the second one, Impact Beyond the Game, which teaches athletes how to build, leverage, and monetize their personal brands to create a legacy beyond sports, which I, I'm really interested in talking to him about that. I love it. I love it. I'm, you know, they don't give a business degree when you come out of your PhD program or any other mental health profession. So for athletes, uh, like we've heard from some of our former guests, you have all this training, all this specialization, and then you retire at the ripe old age, if you're lucky, of 37 <laughs> or if some even earlier, right? <laughs> if you're lucky, and then you are in some ways feeling behind the curve in terms of the job market. So learning how to, you know, get savvy, leverage those skills and brand. I'm looking to learn about it. And I think a lot of athletes out there need to hear it. So I'm excited to bring on Malcolm Lemons. All right. We just got done introducing Malcolm Lemons. He's here with us. And for all the athletes out there who've been looking ways to leverage their game and turn it into their own personal brand. Malcolm, we've hit a crossroads here with this quarantine and uh, I know Lorinda's got some some questions, but I mean, has this has this thrown a wrench into how people market and brand themselves, or has this created an opportunity, you know, for, for many people to to find new ways and to make now the time that they step forward into taking a risk? I think when you're when you're talking about athletes in particular, it's really just a unique period of time solely for the fact that most athletes are not used to having this much time on their hands, you know, whether that's to kind of pursue their other interests and passions outside of sports. So uh, or do other things. So I think it's it, it's presented a really uh, unique opportunity for a lot of athletes I and mean, a lot of people in general have have had to be innovative and think outside the box and kind of readjust their businesses and, and their, their 
strategies for this year. So I think it presents a lot of opportunities for people. It's all about perspective and how you choose to look at things, of course. Malcolm, just to go back a little bit, I know you were a professional basketball player. Just give us an idea of how long you played. I'd love to know that. So I played about two and a half years overseas, uh, spent the majority of that time in Japan. Um, stopped playing going into my third year. Mm-hmm. Did you get injured or what, what had you alter that plan? So it, it was mainly I had an opportunity to go play in Morocco uh, going into my third season. And the deal actually fell through about two days before I was supposed to leave. So I had my flight booked and I was ready to go. Um, team decided to go in a different direction after that. I had started to do other things prior to me going into that third year. So I decided basically that it was in my best interest to kind of walk away from the game at that point in time and kind of pursue the other things that I I want to do with my life. I think that many players are in that same predicament, that they might be traded or they might be injured two or three years into their sport. And unlike you, they sometimes don't know what to do next. But it sounds like you had a plan A, B, C, maybe D. I read something about you getting into business and that you failed at it. I think those were your words. And you were very thankful for that. I'd love to hear about that. I love this, Lorinda. You just break them down right away and you're going to build them up later. I love it. I'm not, I'm not complaining at all on my <laughs> Thank God. But uh, yeah, I mean, even before I even uh, took the, the leap to go play overseas, I had started my first company because I always knew I wanted to do something entrepreneurial. I had a bunch of business ventures as a kid. I was a kid in school, sold candy and water bottles and sold shoes and t-shirts in high school. So I did all kind of stuff uh, throughout my adolescence. So I knew I would do something uh, entrepreneurial growing up. And so I started my first legitimate company, which was actually a staffing firm for athletes who were transitioning into life after sports, trying to pair, uh, you know, prospective employers with employees. So that was my first business. And I did, I did horribly. It folded in a, in a matter of months, but it was a good learning experience. And I think it was kind of what I needed to, to kind of, you know, gain some confidence and, and kind of understand what, what starting a business entails and how to kind of lay the foundation, the groundwork for, for building you know, anything. So uh, that was, that was my first uh, venture. And, and uh, I, I've taken a lot of the lessons that I learned from that experience and even still feel today with a lot of things that I do, you know, I have that understanding that not everything is going to work out, but as long as you have a long-term vision and, uh, you continue to persevere throughout any obstacles you might experience. I think that that process and understanding that is extremely important. Yeah, I, one of the reasons why I'm so thrilled to have this opportunity to be with you today is that you and I share visions uh, about uh, the opportunities and possibilities for pro athletes. I think we both learn or we learn when we fail. And, you know, as you say, there, there were a lot of lessons that you learned uh, when you had that, that first staffing business that didn't go all the way as, as you thought. Um, I want to digress for a minute because yeah. you played in Japan. And, and, and so what was it like? I hear about some of the baseball players in the KPO right now. I mean, you can't, you, I mean, it's not, it's not easy to hide being a basketball player in the United States. But what was it like being in Japan? And did you learn something just from living in, in that culture? that period of time or anything that maybe you took away that you still apply? 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I would say the biggest thing, you know, when you when you come from experience in the background that I come from and you, you, know, you travel across the world and essentially ingrain yourself in a completely different culture for several months, um, it's extremely terrifying. And I was actually just saying this earlier on a podcast that I was on. This is probably one of the scariest experiences I've ever been through in my life. But what it taught me more than anything was how to survive. And so now I feel I can go anywhere on this planet and you dump me in the middle of the, the Sahara and I will come out okay <laughs> because I've been through that experience and having to acclimate to a culture that I, you know, that was my first time being out of the country. And so I learned a ton about myself. I learned a ton about uh, Japan and, and their culture and the food and just people. Um, and, and I really loved the experience. I and mean, of course, it was it was a lot of ups and downs on the basketball court. But, you know, just from a bird's eye view and, and just a wide perspective, it was extremely invaluable experience. And, you know, I would, I would uh, you know, definitely go back to, to visit. How long have you been uh, engaged in... Uh, branding for yourself and or for others? How long have you been doing? So about three years, I, I really started, uh, you know, my second year playing overseas. So about three and a half years now. Oh, um, started kind of building my, my brand uh, right before I stopped playing basketball. I really kind of telling my story and understanding that athletes had a platform when they were playing and how they can leverage that to create other opportunities and even revenue streams, you know, during their careers and even in life after sports. So uh, it's been a couple of years now, something I'm extremely passionate about um, and feel strongly that athletes should kind of take advantage of during their careers. So you think they should definitely do it before they've retired, correct? So maybe to leverage themselves. All right, great. Yeah, and mostly the guys that I talk to, and I think probably will be listening to the podcast, are, you know, those middle income player guys, you know, not necessarily the marquee players. We'd love the marquee players list, but not necessarily them. Um, and I always held it like the marquee players did the branding, like people came up to them and, you know, I'll be your social media person or, and not necessarily the middle income guys, but I think I was incorrect in that assumption. What's your thought about it? What do you think this is for all players with what, what if, if somebody's listening out there, what's your message to that person? Yeah, I definitely think it's for all players. I think it's for everybody. I think everyone has a brand. Uh, when you break down what a brand means, it's essentially your reputation, how people think about you uh, or how, how they feel about you and what they think about you when you're not there or you're, or you're not in the room. And so I think that uh, when it comes to athletes, uh, you know, when you think about their brands, their platforms, they have uh, this title of being an athlete and so many people want to be next to them because of that title. But yeah. uh, when you when it comes to, you know, transitioning and uh, doing other things outside of the jersey, um, a lot of times athletes don't know how to do those things because they don't take advantage of, uh, you know, their brand. They don't capitalize uh, on um, their other interests, their other passions, and kind of put that out into the world. So I think that every athlete should be doing this in some way or, uh, or in some capacity and, and kind of leveraging that that influence and, and maximizing the value that they have during their careers. So it's okay. not just for marquee players. It's yeah. for, for okay. all athletes. Okay, good. Thank you for that. Um, yeah, and the other thing is if, if uh, people weren't going to listen to this, what what tips, maybe two or three tips, would you have for a player who is not branding himself right now? 
So I would say the biggest thing is to understand that uh, first and foremost, you have a story. You know, every athlete has been through obstacles and experiences and uh, they need to be putting that message out into the world and you have to be transparent and vulnerable uh, with the things that you've been through and some of the insecurities that you that you may have about uh, your your life. And so I think that that is really the cornerstone of building a sustainable brand is that uh, the authenticity and, and the, the, the vulnerability approach and, and being just open and transparent with your audience, uh, first and foremost, uh, and then being consistent and frequent with your content and your messaging. I think a lot of times athletes may post a couple of times on social media um, and then they'll disappear for a matter of weeks. And so they're not really building that, that genuine, authentic connection with their followers and their fan base. Um, and, and that can kind of lead to friction uh, when, when it comes to, you know, them trying to pursue other opportunities. So I think those are two big points and then also be extremely patient. Um, <laughs> okay. That's building good for a, me to know too. Thank you. <laughs> you know, building, building a brand doesn't happen overnight and it's something that you do in perpetuity. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, being I was going to say, about. yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm picturing like division one athletes or, or just collegiate athletes. It's, it's, you know, greater demand than a full-time job than most you know, Americans understand, right? I mean, the practices in the morning study halls, I mean, it's really restricted. So I'm thinking, when do you have time to formulate a business plan or be thinking about your life beyond the sport when so much is being asked of you? And then when it becomes your profession and you're being paid for it, it's kind of like you want to justify that you're being paid for it. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, what's a realistic time frame? Because having this patience and this understanding that it's going to take time. You know, what do you tell people when they're first leaving the game or, or coming back from overseas in terms of maybe baby steps they can take to, to begin to step into this realm and, and how they can go in about that discovery of figuring out, you know, who, who what is their authentic message mm-hmm. um, outside of, you know, how they play and how they practice uh, that they want to bring to the world? So I think the, the first thing, uh, you know, when you, when you talk about time and, and, and being patient with the process, it's, it's relatively short when you're trying to figure out what you're trying to do the rest of your life. So when <laughs> most athletes retire, you know, they're, they're, they're no older than 30 years old. You know, a lot of guys are, are done in their 20s. And so when you, when you look at the rest of your life and having a second career, I mean, you essentially have 40 plus years to do something else. So if it takes you maybe two or three years to figure out what that is, that's, that's nothing compared to the rest of your life. So uh, figuring out your, your next career step or your next passion, uh, you really just have to try as many things as possible. Um, you know, if you're fortunate enough from a financial perspective and you uh, can take some time to, to not have to get a second job right away and kind of dive into something that you might think you're interested in, take that time to do so. And if it's something that you, uh, you know, don't like or don't want to do, then move on to the next thing. But just having the understanding and the humility to, uh, you know, pursue those other things and to not worry about failing or, you know, figuring out, you know, not worrying about figuring out what you're trying to do next, I think is extremely important uh, for athletes to understand. Yeah. The the thing that I really do see is how um, people love the celebrity of athletes. Mm -hmm. So I can really see how an athlete could leverage him or herself um, to be, you know, better known. Right. So I know that's what you're all about. And so I get that. But I have a question. Um, 
what social media do you think is the best one for this group of guys? What, which one would you recommend? So I think it depends on who you're trying to reach. Uh, right. I think okay, that, that makes sense. Uh, mm -hmm. So I think that that's one way to, to think about it. Also, what social media platform do you like the most? Some athletes are really good on video and might want to do uh, might want to put up videos on YouTube. Some athletes might, you know, be better writers and might want to take, you know, more, uh, take more advantage of Twitter. So it, it really kind of depends on what the athlete's strengths are, what they like, um, and where they see themselves kind of building a sustainable brand on social media. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Thank you. Um, you know, I want to go into something you talk a lot about too. And, um, in one of your books for sure, and we'll get to the books in a minute. Um, and that's, you know, that, that a lot of athletes go broke. Um, and um, I wanted to know, you know, let's see, why do you think that happens? And, is, and I'd love to hear some solutions you have. So why do you think that many guys go broke? So I think it's really a, a lack of, uh, one, accountability. I think a lot of athletes, you know, rely on other people in their circle to take care of their finances or to kind of be the, the watcher over those things. Uh, when, you know, I, from, from one perspective, I understand it because athletes don't have time to do everything. Um, but, you know, when it comes to your career, your life, you have to be the one in charge and have to be the one who's kind of overseeing everything and keeping an eye on it. Uh, because it's you who's going to take the downfall at the end of the day. So while you may not, you know, know everything about accounting or uh, taxes or maintaining a budget, uh, these are things that you have to have some type of understanding of and have to be uh, watching over the people who are actively, you know, taking care of your your finances on a day to day basis. I think that's the biggest thing, but also. Uh, educating yourself uh, as much as possible to to be in a position to when you're done playing and these people who uh, were helping you during your careers might not be helping you anymore that you're able to to take advantage of your finances and, and to be financially sound going into life after sports because uh, that's the real world you're not going to have a bunch of people uh, helping you kind of navigate that on a day-to-day -day basis when you get into the real world so knowing yeah. that you know that's not going to last forever and putting yourself in a position that you uh, are financially you know literate enough to handle your own finances going forward yeah, I, I really like that. Also, what I noticed in one of your articles that you wrote is um, sometimes the guys uh, just, you know, they go with what's referred to them. And sometimes that's an agent's relationship with a financial advisor or something. So they go there and sometimes don't vet it because of the relationship or the trust of the relationship. And I believe you said that there's some real downfall to that. Um, can you speak a little bit more on that one, that kind of, I don't know, slippery slope that that is? Yeah, absolutely. I think there definitely, you know, there is some financial advisors and people who try to take advantage of athletes because of their wealth. Um, and a lot of times, you know, agents might have a relationship with somebody who uh, might not necessarily fit the the athlete and and what they're trying to accomplish in their their financial goals but they'll partner the the two of them because that's who the agent knows that's who the agent has a relationship with so i think it's uh you know a big part of it is the athlete doing you know having doing due diligence and understanding that they need to do their own research and uh, own vetting of these advisors and these people that they have in their corners and have to have an understanding of their backgrounds their history 
uh, who they worked with before and not just relying on the agent's advice or uh, referrals and recommendations um, and just taking whoever they suggest. So the athlete has to do their own vetting um, and understand uh, the backgrounds and, and the people that they're, they're uh, putting in their circle. If you'd like to listen more, please click on the link for Making the Jump located in the show notes so you can get access to all of the shows and their complete recordings. This is Richard Listens, and I'm out. Thank you.